like he's having more fun than us, huh? At the beach. I always say everything's better in Texas but the beach. That's the only thing we don't have in Dallas. Um, not Texas. I guess there is a beach down there, but it's not very nice from what I hear. So I've actually only been in Texas for about two and a half years. My wife and I moved here um, two and a half years ago. We're the youth directors at Trinity Church, which is over in Cedar Hill, Texas, which is... Um, I guess we're considered sister churches is how they call it, and uh, it's just an honor to be here. I love what you guys are doing in in Fort Worth. As Pastor Tim said, uh, we are good friends. In fact... um, he has, he's been a huge part of my life because when we moved here, we couldn't find a good house. And he moved out of his house in DeSoto to come to Fort Worth and said, I've got a great house for you. And so we actually live in Pastor Tim's old house in DeSoto, um, which is awesome because they have a little boat that they left and everything. So thank you, Pastor Tim, if you hear this someday, uh, for letting me get into a good house. It really is just a phenomenal place, and God's just such a blessing, and I'm thankful for the Woodies. Are you guys thankful for your pastors? I mean, they're just incredible people. Um, my pastors, Jim and Becky Hennessy, I always give them honor um, where honor is due, and they they give me the opportunity to be able to go and travel some, and so I get to travel out. Uh, most of the time when I travel, I tell my testimony, and I always ask, what would you like me to talk about when I come preach? And most people say, tell your testimony, and that's what I was told to do today. So I'm here to tell you my story, um, and I hope it helps some of you, or maybe all of you. That would be awesome. So um, I have a wife. My, her name is Annie. She is, um, pray for us, she's at, at our church today trying to sign kids up for camp, and we need them to go <laughs> and pay. And so that would be awesome if they go to camp, so pray for her as she's signing people up. I have two amazing kids, Cadence and Kale. If they were here today, it would not be quiet. Um, and, you know, we're doing good. I'm, I'm a little older than my wife, and, and um, I'm actually seven years older. I, I robbed the cradle. When I graduated high school, she was in the sixth grade, and... <laughs> Sounds a little weird, but I didn't meet her that young. Um, so I always tell kids when they can't find girlfriends in the high school, I'm like, go look in the elementary. That's where mine was. So No, I'm kidding. That's horrible. Um, but uh, no, she's awesome. And, and um, she actually, she made me go on a diet this year. I was, I was, I almost hit 240, I think. And she made me go on a diet in December. It was her New Year's resolution for me. And um and uh, I, I did okay, and then the other day I saw on the internet it said that skinny people are actually easier to kidnap. Did you read that? So I called her up. I was like, safety first, girl, safety first. We got we to gotta quit this diet. Um, I didn't grow up in the Midwest. People ask me how I moved to the Midwest, or I just considered the Midwest or the Southwest or wherever we are now. Uh, I didn't grow up down this way, I guess you'd say. Um, I grew up in the East Coast, and of course, we don't know anything about uh, this area, but we're, I'm learning. So uh, people say, how did you move to this area? My wife grew up in Oklahoma, um, so I always say a hot girl brought me this way. Um, before that, I was 18. Before I was 18 years old, I actually never crossed the Mississippi. I grew up in Philadelphia my whole life, and uh, I had never crossed the Mississippi. So I remember as a kid, like thinking, "We are running out of room, man. Like, what? Wh- why are they still letting people in the country? There's no more land left." And then, then I crossed the Mississippi, and I was like, "Oh, 
There's fields. <laughs> There's a lot of land. Okay, we're good. And so I love this area. People always ask me, would you move back to Philadelphia? I miss the food, um, but I, I probably wouldn't move back. I like raising my kids. I love Dallas. I love this area. I actually come down this way all the time. And so it's a great place. But in Pennsylvania, um, I actually am legally insane in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, they did a background check. I've been in ministry for 15 years now, but but I am legally insane in the state of Pennsylvania. Through my teen years up to about 21 years old, I think was the last time. I, I don't remember ages very well, but around 21, 22 was the last time that I spent in a mental institution. I went through seven mental institutions and five rehabs as a teenager. Um, and so I'm crazy. That... that <laughs> That was that used to be kind of really hard to talk about, and then I learned this is my first point. I learned that crazy can actually be good sometimes, um, and and let me explain um, because we all do stupid things. Anybody ever do anything stupid? Nobody's stupid in the room, but we all do stupid things. I mean, for instance, as I was talking to you about, I like to eat. I don't like diets. I like twisted root. I like good food. I love a cheeseburger. Cheeseburger is actually my most favorite thing in the world. I there's just something about a good, and I'm not talking like. Burger King, McDonald's cheeseburger. I'm talking about the good gourmet cheeseburger. When they put it out on the table, it's still grilling a little bit. You know, it's like it's just, you just hear it and you see the cheese melting and stuff. And it's just there's just something about that good cheeseburger. And and this is where the stupid thing usually comes in with me. I, this has happened to me actually three or four times in my life where I start to eat the cheeseburger and I'm like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. And then this whole argument goes into my head that if I get up and leave to go to the restroom, I, I leave the cheeseburger at its prime eating time. Because when you come back, it's no longer sizzling. It's no longer, it's no longer cheering back at you. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not doing any, it's just there and it, the cheese is drying up. So I'm like, I cannot. And so I just continue to eat. And then this has happened two or three times where, where it all of a sudden becomes an emergency. And, and so I drop the cheeseburger. And I run, and I'm telling you, they do this on purpose. I know they do, but but a lot of these restaurants, they put the men's and the women's bathroom, and then right next to it is the kitchen. And so I run in, and I kick open the door, and three times in my life, I've jumped into the kitchen on an emergency. And the cooks, they just look at me, and they're like, he's so stupid. <laughs> He thought this was the bathroom. And, uh, you know, and this is where this is where crazy actually works. This is what I call, I'm going to help you guys today. This is my first point. If you just take your hand and you put it out like this, just take your hand, put it out like this. It's okay, trust me. And now put it up onto your forehead. This is what I call the duck. I look at people and I just go, ah! like that. And what happens is, is they go, Oh my gosh, he is crazy. Somebody help him. And so they change everything. They're like, yo, 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 you're not stupid. You're crazy, man. Let me get you another cheeseburger. We're going to sit you back now. We're going to get you a better table. People treat crazy people better. Now, you may have never done that, but, but you ever walk down the street and you think you're so cool, and you see somebody waving, you think they're waving at you? That happens to me all the time. Somebody's waving, you're like... And they just look at you like, he's so stupid. <laughs> thought he was waving. Well, they thought I was waving at him. And then you just, you break out the duck, and then they're, they're, they're your best friend. They're like, yo, yo, what's up, man? Good friends, good friends. It happens even, okay, if you don't do anything stupid, this will work. The duck works. Next time you go to Six Flags and you don't want to wait in line, you don't have to buy the VIP pass. Just break out the duck. 
the whole line will open up. They'll run to the front. I mean, they'll be like, sit in the front row, get out of here. He's crazy. You know what I'm saying? So crazy works. And, and I like being crazy. I like having fun. Um, that's why, you know, the world's a little boring. Anybody work downtown and ever have to get on an elevator? I think elevators are the most boring places in the world. And that's why I don't ever turn around. I get on the elevator and I say, we're going to be traveling together for a little while. How about we sing a song? It's a small world after. And then if you, I can't do it anymore because I broke my foot last year. But if you really want to mess them up, get off at like the second or third floor and run as fast as you can to like the fourth or the fifth and just wait for the door to open. <laughs> And go, y'all were talking about me, weren't you? It messes them up every time. Every time it messes them up. They just get messed up. And, but, but in all reality, um, as much as I joke about being crazy, it was, it was hard for me. It was hard for me to tell people that I, I was crazy. And, so, uh, and that's where I'm going to start. In Genesis chapter 1, um, I had to realize how much God loved me. You see, for me to ever be used by God, I had to understand that my disqualification is what actually qualifies me into ministry. You see, God takes everything that I thought disqualified me and uses that to qualify me. Everything I thought was horrible and embarrassing and a disgrace in my life is the biggest thing that God's used for me to impact the kingdom. You see, and sometimes we walk through life and we're just so embarrassed of our past and we're so embarrassed that how, who in the world is going to accept a guy that's been in seven mental institutions and five rehabs? And beyond that, I was a teen father. At 19 years old, I had my son. He was, he was born on my 19th birthday, but I was such a big drug addict that I couldn't take care of my son. And so they, the state took him from me. And so how do you look at people and say, you know what? I want to be a pastor, but I'm a failure as a father and I haven't seen my son and 17 years and I've been through drugs and all this different stuff and 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 I had to understand that that the that God took my past and my pain and he was going to add purpose to it. You see God wants to take all your pain and all the stuff that you've been through and it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's something that you can stand up and say, "You know what? God has redeemed me." You see today I can stand before you and say, "Yes, God still has to restore some things with my son. I haven't seen him in 17 years, but I'm a good father today. God has changed who I am. And, and, and it's because I understand his love. And I'm going to try to explain his love to you very quickly today. Um, if you look in Genesis chapter 1, we're just going to go through the whole Bible today. Is that okay? Um, just so I can get my point across. But in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. That's pretty cool to me because that just shows how cool my God is that, that he said, let there be light. And then four days later, he created the sun. You see, God is so powerful and so cool. He just wants, he's like, let there be light. All right. And then about four days later, I'll create the sun. And then he just started speaking stuff into existence. He was like, dogs, cows, they just popped up, you know what I mean? Like, wouldn't it be crazy if you were there first? You know, you're like, oh, what is that? Is cows coming at you? Steak, <laughs> cheeseburger, <laughs> you know. And so, that's what I would have called him, <laughs> cow. No, you're a cheeseburger. That's what you're here for. Um, and so, 
you know, and he just started speaking out trees, poof, and they, just, they didn't grow, just poof, trees, whoa, you know, that apple one, whoops, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, um, and, and he just started speaking all this stuff, but then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, he gets to us, and this is, this is the part that really began, God began to show his love for me, and it says this, it says in chapter 2, verse 7, after he speaks all this stuff into existence, it says, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then man became a living being. So the interesting thing to me is that God speaks everything into existence. He probably could have spoke us into existence. He's God. But he doesn't do that. He stops when he gets to you. He says, no, this one I'm going to create in my image. I'm going to take some time on him. And he kneels down in the dirt, and he begins to form you with his hands. I don't know about you, I, I, my mind works a little weird, but I just always picture God as he's forming us from the dirt of the ground. I, I just, I don't know, I could just hear him singing something like, when I see your face, <laughs> there's not a thing that I would change, because you're amazing. Just the way you are. That's what I hear God singing to me when he's forming. I don't know. Is that weird? Um, and then he breathes life into us. And, and, and I used to be so embarrassed of my dirt and my grossness in my life until I realized that's the first thing God kissed in my life. That's what God changed. And he breathed life into that to create me took my dirt and he breathed life into it and and I had to understand that because as I told you I dealt with a lot of drugs as a kid and actually grew up a pastor's kid uh, in Philadelphia my dad was a pastor um, in inner city churches most of my life um, we were we were true inner city pastors we had we had nothing. We lived in Sunday school rooms, <laughs> and um, literally, like, we lived in Sunday school rooms. Uh, that's because we couldn't afford anything else. So my bedroom, uh, in the morning, I'd wake up and uh, on Sunday mornings, and we'd put a blanket over my bed, and we'd get it ready as a Sunday school room, and that's where we had church. And, and uh, you know, um, we... <laughs> We would wait in line in the welfare and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, you know, the church was an interesting place for me as a kid. It, it, was, it was hard for me. It was, it was hard even in smaller churches like we were in. You know, it was always the pastor's kid. And why can't he be good? And what's wrong with him? And you know what I mean? You always, you always heard that stuff. And it was like I was held to a higher standard just because of my dad's calling. I can remember as a kid just saying, I wasn't called to this church thing. My dad was. Leave me out of it. And, and so I went through all this stuff, and about 16 years old is when I really just decided I'm done with the church. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And I started leaving home and not staying at home anymore. And, and, and by about um, 18, 18 years old, right before I was going into my senior year in high school, my parents said, we've had enough of Philadelphia. We've got to get Jeremy out of here. He's a mess. He's running the streets. Uh, so they literally moved to Alaska. Like they, <laughs> I don't know if they were called there, but that was as far away in America as they could possibly get from Philadelphia. Uh, my senior year in high school, they moved me up to Alaska. But how many know that, um, you know, misery finds itself? And so as soon as I got to Alaska, I found the same type of people doing drugs and all that kind of stuff. I lasted six months there. 
And then I found out my girlfriend back home was pregnant, so I moved back to Philadelphia, and my life went on a really, really steep slope downhill. And so by 21, I, I had about a $400 a day cocaine addiction. About 20, actually, is, is when um, I had done so many drugs. I was walking through the mall, and I passed out right in front of Victoria's Secret, literally passed out right in front. That was, in, people were like, what do you see? <laughs> and so, um, and I, and I woke up and I woke up and, and I just didn't feel good. And they said, well, we called the police. And I said, no, don't do that. I had a bunch of drugs on me. So I ran out to my car and I passed out again. I don't know how long I was out, but when I woke up, um, I had had uh, throw up all over me, and, and I went to the hospital. I drove myself to the hospital. It turned out I had done so many drugs that I had a brain aneurysm. It's where a, a blood vessel in your head explodes. And so um, it was bleeding, and the doctor came in. I never forget. He looked scared, and he just said, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain this to you, but you should be dead. You're your brain is bleeding, and I don't know why you're talking. So they, they rushed me into to brain surgery, and I'll never forget signing the papers. It was amazing because I had all these drug friends, but none of them were there for me when I actually needed it. It was just me by myself, and, and it just said, it said that I had a 70% chance of dying if I went into this surgery and that I had a 60% chance of being paralyzed if I came out alive, and I'm like, those aren't very good statistics, man. Like, can we change this up? And he was like, no, if you don't do this, then, then you, will, you will die. So I said, God, if, if you let me live, I'll live for you for the rest of my life. I promise you. So I signed the papers and um, went into surgery. People are like, where's your scar? I am bald. That's not because of the surgery. That's just because it, I, don't, I always say God made so many perfect heads and the rest he had to put hair on. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> but I, they actually went up through my leg into my heart with a with a microscope thing, or a, and, and it's really weird. So people are always like, let me see your scar. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. Um, and so, but but they, they went up there with platinum coils, and they actually tied off that part of my brain. They just tied off the entire part of my brain with platinum coils. So I always tell young people when I'm preaching to them, I'm like, you think little, ga- little Wayne's gangster with his platinum grill? I got a platinum brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he ain't got nothing on me. And so... Um, I always tell my wife, too, I'm, from, I'm a youth pastor. I don't make a lot of money. So I'm like, hey, girl, when I die, you go get that stuff out and pawn it. You know, that's your life insurance policy. That's platinum in there, girl. Don't bury me with that stuff. It's expensive. Um, about three weeks after, I, I'm alive. That was the funny part, though, because people actually, the rumor on the street was I had died. I'd been in the hospital for four months. So walking through Philly, people were like, whoa. Like, ah. And so... <laughs> But about three weeks in, I actually, I gave up, um, and I started right back into my lifestyle, and that's when I really went crazy, because I thought God was going to kill me, because I had promised him that if I lived, if he let me live, that I'd live for him, and I didn't. I was right back to my drug addiction, and so with that, I just gave up. I literally walked the streets thinking God's going to kill me at any moment, um, and so I went home after about a month back on the streets, and I had sold ecstasy to supply my cocaine addiction. It's a whole mess, you know, just this whole mess you get yourself into. And, and uh, there was about 200 pills that I had at my house. I took them, and I sat down, and I waited to die. 
And um, I'll never forget, it was the first time in years I heard God, and it was the first time ever that I heard him as a father. And I just heard the voice of the Lord as I had taken those pills say, what are you doing? Like a real dad. And I said, God, I, I promised you I'd live for you, and, and I've just, it just didn't work. I can't do this. I can't beat this. I can't live up to my promises to you. And I just felt the Lord say to me, it's not about the promises you make to me. It's about the promise I made to you. And the promise I made to you is that I sent my son to die for everything that you deal with. So I called the ambulance and police knew where I lived. So there was 30 of them there in just a few minutes. The first guy that walked into the room was Sergeant Diaz. He knew me because he used to arrest me as a kid for nothing, just walking down the street. He'd arrest me. And I'm like, what are you doing? Taking you home. You need to go home. That was just my whole relationship with him. He would just pull me into his car no matter where he saw me, even if I was doing nothing, and take me back to my parents. I knew him my whole life. And he, he said, I'm not going to charge you with these drugs in your house. I'm going to charge you with being a harm to yourself. And we're going to put you back into a mental institution. I went back into the mental institution, Norristown Building 50, which um, there's crazy people there. And uh, <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Get in his mental institution. Um, and for the first time in my life, I really gave my heart to Jesus. I got saved in that mental institution. A pastor started trying to come to see me. I said, I don't want to see any pastors. I don't like church people. And he said, what do I have to do to come see you? And I said, bring me a carton of cigarettes. And uh, he said, okay. <laughs> I was like, what a cool pastor. <laughs> so, And he brought me a carton of cigarettes. And as I smoked those cigarettes, looking at him angrily, he showed me the love of Jesus. And, and, and I just broke and gave my life to Jesus. About a week later, the judge came and said, we're going to let you out of the mental institution, but you, you have to go to a, a rehab facility. We're going to send you to a rehab facility in West Palm Beach, Florida. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Florida? What? <laughs> you know? And so they send me to Florida, and, and um, I'm literally on the beach, man. The only beach I ever saw was a Jersey Shore, you know? It's not, it's not really like the TV show, but it's nasty. You know what I mean? Like, you, there's diapers that wash up next to you as you're swimming. You're like, whoo. <laughs> this is nice, you know? And so I got to West Palm Beach, and they actually had that whole part of the beach, like, roped off. It said rehab patients. It was great because, like, the tourists next to us, they'd be, like, looking at us. It was me and, like, four crackheads from Newark, you know what I mean? And so, and, the, and we're just like, bah! like that, and they'd run back to their hotel. <laughs> it was the greatest thing ever. And so, but while I was there, um, I fell asleep. It was the first time I slept in months, and I woke up. Because you don't sleep in mental institutions. There's crazy people there. And so I woke up, and uh, they gave me my own room in West Palm Beach. And I wake up, and there's a six-foot-five black man standing over me like this. And I'm like, and he says, has anybody told you they love you today? <laughs> Lord, if you let me live through this, I'll live... <laughs> for you for the rest of my life. I said, no, sir. And he said, well, I love you, and Jesus loves you. Now get up and make you a bed. Now, a lot of people ask me, they say, you're from Philadelphia. Do you know how to fight? And I'm like, I am a skinny white kid from Philadelphia. I know how to run really fast. I'm not a fighter. And so 
of course, in my head, I'm going, make my bed. What are you talking about? I ain't going to make my bed. But then I sized them up. and I'm like, okay, yes, sir. And I made my bed. And, and for three weeks, every day for three weeks, anybody tell you they love you today? No, sir. Well, I love you. Jesus loves you. Now get up and make your bed. Finally, I got angry. And so as any skinny white kid from Philadelphia would do, I found my exit plan because I was about to yell at him and start with him. So I went to the window and I opened the window up a little bit because I was going to jump when he got angry. You know what I mean? It was first floor. I knew what I was doing. It wasn't like it was a big deal. But I knew that once he got started yelling back at me, I was going to run. And so I opened the window and I said, Jared, and we're still good friends today. I said, Jared, Three weeks, every morning I wake up and you tell me you love me. That's weird, man. Quit telling me that. I said, why do you make me make my bed? That's stupid. I'm going to get back in it at night. (laughs) Still don't understand that one. But he looked at me and he said, Jeremy, I tell you to make your bed every morning because drug addicts never do anything normal. It's the first normal thing you can do. He said, and I tell you, I love you because I do. And I don't understand why in the world you're so angry. He said, I've been in this rehab facility for 15 years, and I've seen people with horrible stories. You come from a good family. Your mom and dad are good people. Why are you so angry? And I don't know why, but for the first time in my life, I just felt like I really trusted him, and he really did love me, and so... I told him a story. I said, you want to know why I'm so angry? I said, because from the age of seven to nine years old, I'd go visit my grandmother in Cleveland every summer and every Thanksgiving and every Christmas. And you got to understand, we lived in a bad part of Philly, so they'd send me to Cleveland every summer. That was my summer vacations, Cleveland. You should feel bad for me. <laughs> my grandfather owned a bar there, so... Um, that's a little bit of why I'm crazy. I had a pastor dad and a bar owner grandpa. And, um, but, but while I was there that we lived above the bar and, and I spent my summers there and this pervert from down the street that, it, that was good friends with my family and would come to the bar, he would sneak in and he molested me. From the age of seven to nine years old, I was molested every summer and every Thanksgiving and every Christmas. And it brought this anger into my life. And I started doing drugs just so I wouldn't feel. And I remember church members looking at me saying, what's wrong with you? And I just couldn't tell them, but I just wish somebody would really, really love me. Jared read me this story, and this is what I'm going to end with. He said, I'm going to read you the story of Bartimaeus. It says, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was getting was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the name of Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and they told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he said, call him. And so they the, the blind man said, they, they called the blind man, they said, cheer up, get on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus and he said, what do you want from me? Jesus asked the blind man, said, Rabbi, I just want to see. And Jesus said, go, your faith has made you healed. What Jared said to me in that room was, you got to understand that that cloak that he threw aside meant something. You see, back in the day, 
your cloak meant something. If you were a king, it meant something. If you were a tax collector, you had a certain color cloak. If you were a beggar, you had to have a... So you couldn't just go on the street and beg like today. You had to go before court and get the right color cloak. It was your business permit. It was your right to beg. He said when he threw off that cloak to go find Jesus, he threw off every right he had to be blind. And he looked at me and he said, son, you got a right to be angry at what happened to you as a kid. And you got a right to be angry at all the things you've gone through. You got a right to be angry at yourself for all the mistakes you've made. But if you throw off your cloak today, Jesus will heal you. And I took my cloak and my right to be angry at my childhood and I gave it to Jesus. And that moment he began to heal me to the point of today I can go across the country and tell thousands of people about the most pain in my life because I'm healed. Yeah, my scars are there, but they don't hurt anymore. I'm healed. And I'm just here simply today to say, you may have a right to be angry at something in your life. You may have a right to be angry at the church. You may have a right to be angry at things that people have done in your life. You may have a right to be angry at the person sitting next to you. I don't know where your right is, but if you trust Jesus enough to take that right off and, and, and just give it to him, he will heal you. He will heal you. There will be a process where all of a sudden you'll be able to, and I don't stand before you today a perfect pastor that's just completely good, but I'm telling you just about every day, I go, God, I, I give my right to be angry. I give my right to be angry. I give my right. I give my right. Heal me, Jesus. Heal my heart. Make me whole. Make me whole. I want to hold nothing against anybody. Doesn't mean he's my best friend today. I haven't, like, just means that he no longer controls me. See, for years, for three years of my life, he molested me, but for 12, he controlled me until I forgave him. Would you stand with me? I don't know how you, usually you guys do things here. This is a great church. You got a coffee shop. Wow. Praise the Lord. Would you pray with me? Just bow your heads. And, and, and if that's you and, and nobody looking around because this is just a personal moment with Jesus, but I really want you to mean it. Don't just raise your hand because it's something you do in church. But if you say, Jeremy, there, there is something in me. I, I, have, I have unforgiveness. I have a right. And you do have a right to be angry at whatever it is. You have a right to be angry at yourself, some of you. You have a right to be angry at maybe your spouse, maybe your marriage. Maybe you got a right to be angry that your parents divorced when you were a kid. I don't know where your right is, but today I'm asking you, would you throw it off and find healing? In the name of Jesus, find healing. And open your heart and say, Jesus, today I'm throwing my cloak aside and I'm running to you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, thank you, all over the room all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your spirit, God. God, I just pray right now, wherever these people stand, God, that healing begins to rise up in their heart, Jesus. God, that you just begin to heal them right now. Your faith has made you healed in the name of Jesus. As you've thrown off that right, your faith has made you healed. Stand in freedom that from today on, that will no longer control you, that will no longer hold you down. You are free, you are whole. In the name of Jesus, your heart be healed. Thank you, Jesus. The 
last thing I have is just simply that if you need more, if you know somebody that may need what I just said today, I do have a book over here to the left if you'd like to purchase that. If you don't have any money and you just need it, go ahead and grab it. Thank you guys for, for listening to me today.